actually, everybody's going to be kind of sharing tonight in a way. Can anybody remember from the Facebook... Oh, I can't move this. Um, <laughs> from the Facebook post, I just kind of feel like it's slightly blocking you guys, but maybe we'll just gently move it. Yeah, it's kind of worked. Okay, you keep going up. Thanks, you. Dan. Thanks, Dan. Great. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is all an elaborate metaphor um, as part of the Book of Ruth. Um, wow. Um, yeah. Oh, I just gave it away. What are we, what are we doing tonight, fam? Yeah, we're doing the Book of Ruth. Okay, great. Um, so I've decided that the kind of shape of tonight is a little bit more kind of, a bit more of a teach than a preach. Um, which is a thing we talk about in kind of people that work for church land, um, um, which kind of just means it's like a little bit more like possibly like boring. Sometimes that's, that's kind of code for it's a bit more boring. Um, <laughs> um, um, slightly, less, sli- slightly less tall stories, slightly more facts. Um, so who, I, oh, I don't know if we want to do this. I put the challenge out there for people to read the book of Ruth and I'm hoping that some people took that up because what I'd love to do is just do a group brainstorm now of things that we know about that book or things that we've noticed. So people, places, what's going on and I'm just going to chuck them on the whiteboard to get us started. So just call out from where you are. Ruth. Boaz. (laughs) What a name, eh? That is such a BBE name. Naomi. <laughs> class structure women Moabites yep female protag gleaning Fields. I, I feel, okay, which way is it? It's EA. Field. <laughs> Field. There it is. <laughs> it looks wrong. That looks wrong. <laughs> okay, what else do we have? I, I think I missed some. What was that? Sorry, down the back. Oh, yeah. Sandal thing. (laughs) I think her name's like Oprah or oh, we'll put Oprah. We're putting Oprah. Can't remember. (laughs) Imagine Oprah Winfrey in this story. That would be incredible. <laughs> Ruth and Naomi just drive back from like the land of Moabite. You get a car. Um, <laughs> any other things? We've done very well. Loyalty and then what? Oh yeah, men die. Men die. Um, <laughs> loyalty. Yeah. Women equals hard times to live without men in that day and age. Um, what was that, sorry? 
Oh, yep, the land. Yeah. Land and kind of um, the connection between kind of marriage lines and kind of gender and, yeah, we'll just put stuff on there. Cool. Great. Has anyone here not actually not read the book and now you're like, yeah, I get it, or I'm real confused? <laughs> Flora, love it. That's great honesty. Okay, awesome. Well, if it's, if it's a bit of a rusty story for you, hopefully that's jogged some memories. And if you um, read it this week, m- maybe there are things that are up there that you um, didn't notice. So those things are going to sit there, and I'm going to add some other things to the whiteboard as we go. But what I'm just going to do is read us a super brief um, kind of summary of what happens those can just be there um in this book where is it just there cool um so the widow ruth who is a moabite we got both of those two points to us so far immigrates from moab so the place she's from, to Bethlehem, with her Israelite mother-in-law, Naomi. That is book part of the first part of the book. Scene two is at Naomi's suggestion, Ruth. Um, oh, is it scene two? Oh, yeah, no, that's that one. Okay, I've jumped ahead. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, Ruth gleans the leftover grain. So we've got gleans in the field. Um Uh, of Boaz, who befriends her, having heard of her faith and kindness to Naomi, who is a relative of his. Then, uh, at Naomi's suggestion, Ruth lets Boaz know that she loves him and hopes he will marry her. Boaz undertakes um, the legal procedures necessary to marry Ruth and to protect the family property rights of her late husband, um, one of the sons that died, Marlon, the birth of Ruth and Boaz's first son, Obed. So there's a baby. We missed the baby. Um, but we know how to draw babies in this community. So I'll just draw that one up. There he is. Um, Obed. <laughs> yeah, little burrito baby. That's the one. So they have a baby, which is a great consolation to Naomi. And eventually, Obed's grandson turned out to be King David. So that's what we hear at the end of the passage. So why I wanted to get us to read this book is, one, because it's a bit of a banger story. It's pretty short, female protagonist, as we noted last week. But also, it's a narrative where um, there are... A number of things that we can learn from the story that are implicit. So in a story, um, you have things that are explicit, like um, Naomi had two sons. It's like stated. That's like facts. And then there's things that are kind of implied by the story. So all of us are familiar with um, like a moral of a story that emerges from it or a theme that emerges from a story. And in um, scripture, we have lots of different narratives. And some of them, um, there's like kind of a moment where the writer steps back and makes some explicit points or comment like commentates on the narrative and tells us kind of like um, here's what God was doing in this situation but in the story of Ruth we don't have that it's just kind of this 
flow of a narrative. And so a lot of um, the kind of deeper levels of understanding we can get from the narrative are things that are implied. And so when um, we have a story where there's things that are implied, all of you guys will know this from English class, um, there's like a little bit of work that needs to be done to like really draw out like what are these themes, what are they saying, how do they hold together, and kind of taking a deeper look at it. So that is um, what we're going to do now, take a bit of a deeper look at this um, by way of kind of I guess a little bit of a template for some things to think about when we're engaging um, with reading narratives in scripture um, because I think it's really helpful um, to, yeah, like upskill in this space. Like I found it quite empowering to be like, oh, these like different ways of reading things. So what we're going to do is we're going to step back from the story of Ruth briefly and I am going to read to you um, kind of, they've said, they've said 10 hot tips in this book for um, things to think about when we're reading narratives. I think that's kind of a bit of a stretch. I don't really feel like they're 10, so I've kind of like condensed them down a little bit. Um, and I'm going to read those to you guys now, and then we'll come back to what's going on, what's some other stuff that's going on in the story of Ruth. Now, I think, yeah, I think it's kind of funny, like, some of this might, I, I, I just don't know how much of this will be, like, things that everybody's all over in the room, or how much of it will be, like, oh, eye-opening things. Um, so, yeah, excited to debrief with people how helpful or not this is. So, the kind of first little bundle of um, hot tips for interpreting narratives in scripture is that, as I said, um, looking for what is explicit in the text and what is kind of implied by the text. So narratives don't often um, like teach a specific doctrine. They're not like, um, they're often just a story like saying what happened. Um, but sometimes there are explicit kind of like ideas that are attached to, to that that the author will kind of commentate on. So they don't usually teach a doctrine, but normally the story itself might like illustrate a point or might kind of maybe there's like a moral it's pointing to maybe it's kind of like um, an example of something that you might have seen in scripture elsewhere so for example um, in some of the stories like there's all sorts of crazy stuff that happens in the bible sometimes um, someone might kill somebody else and sometimes in that text it'll say like this was a bad thing to do, and God says don't murder people. But often that's just like assumed to be knowledge that's there. there. There's been like other places where like you shall not murder has been spoken, and then there's a story about murder. Um, and it's, it isn't like all the time that the, the story or the author will say, and that was a bad idea because God says don't murder people, you know? So um, sometimes um, we get this like explicit communication, but sometimes it's implicit communication and so we're kind of expected to know um, from other parts of scripture um, to infer whether what's happening in the story is like a good or a bad thing. It won't necessarily say to us, oh, and this was good and this was bad. We, ha we need to find that in other places. So that's the first idea. What is stated? Um, what is implied? Um, and just acknowledging that it's like just saying it that in the stories, they're not necessarily a good example to us, and that the characters themselves um, are definitely like often far from perfect. 
Um, and so the examples in those narratives are stories of different people um, and they have different actions. And it, it will sometimes say like this person did right in the sight of the Lord um, and, and God was pleased, but sometimes it won't and we need to do that inferring. Um, another thing to note is that all narratives are selective and incomplete. So the author wrote what they thought was important for the time. Um, but there's going to be things that sometimes we're like, what happened there? And we're just left not knowing. Um, I don't know if you guys can relate to this, but sometimes um, when you're around someone that loves to tell a story, um, they might share a story with you, and then you might be in the room when they're sharing a story with someone else, and they'll kind of tell it a bit differently, or they'll bring in another detail, or um, they'll be kind of like, it'll be revealed like, oh, and this other person was there, or this other thing happened, you're like, oh, I didn't realize that, kind of, I've heard this story before, but I heard it a bit differently, and I think um, just acknowledging that the scriptures we have today were written by people, they were writing down what they thought was important, but there's obviously other stuff that's going on, and if somebody else had been called by God to write down that story, they would have written it down a little bit differently and included different details, Um, so yeah, we can trust that there's goodness and learning we can have, but we're not necessarily going to get all the answers we want around how things happened. Um, Another thing to acknowledge is that narratives aren't written to answer all the niche questions we have. So if, for example, um, I've got a question about um, how to harvest wheat, and I go to the story of Ruth, um, or how to relate to your mother-in-law, or whatever, um, me coming in and wanting that story to answer my question it might not answer my my question or some of our other modern problems like do I buy an electric car like you know it's not going to be answered by the story itself Um, there might be some things that are implied in there that we can discern and we can read widely in scripture and we can pray about that we can learn from but the narrative won't necessarily give us the like tight answer that we're wanting um yeah and I think, um, yeah, in the, the kind of final thing is that um, in all the narratives in Scripture, God is a character somewhere present in the story. And that isn't necessarily always obvious to us, but often the stories are being written to reflect something of God's nature um, or to tell us about, um, like, even in, a, I guess last week we, we shared that kind of three-tier structure of individuals, And then the kind of wider things that those individuals are a part of, maybe the community they're a part of, the era that they're around in, and then God's wider plan. God is, God figures somewhere in the story. And so to look for, where's God in the story? Like what's going on? Um, And just to have that, like God's going to feature somewhere. How do we understand where God is in the story? Is good things to have. So maybe turn to the person next to you. And from what we've shared about so far, maybe share something that stands out to you. Um, just thinking about like, oh, what is what what kind of genre is this text I'm reading? Is this a letter? Is this a chunk of law? Is this a story about a person? Is this a poem? Like asking ourselves, what genre is this chunk of the Bible that I'm engaging with? And when it's a story, which I can't remember if I dropped this fact last week, like 40% of the Old Testament is, is story, it's narrative. So like nearly half the time in the Old Testament is going to be story. Um, And in the New Testament, there's lots of stories as well. And so cool to think about, like, who's being written about? Who's the person that's writing? um, What's being said? What's implied? Kind of, like, 
bringing our water knowledge to it. So the little top 10 list I can like give you guys, but um, hopefully that's been cool food for thought. So we're just going to pivot back to Ruth now and look at a bunch of the stuff that's implicit in that story. So there's about um, four or so things that are awesome um, and implied. So um, the first thing that's implied but not stated is um, that Ruth converts to Judaism. So Ruth um, marries an Israelite guy and um, she, in her conversations both with Naomi um, and her decision to go with Naomi back to um, a land that's not her own and in a number of the situations of dialogue between her and Boaz and other characters, she says things like, um, may the Lord um, like deal with me according to like his will and things kind of around showing that she has... Um, I guess it's trying to live in, in alignment with the principles of the Jewish faith. So we have this first thing that's it's never said, like Ruth um, converted from being a Moabite that worshipped the Moabite gods and then made a change to being Jewish, but that's implied in the story that sh- by her decisions. So that's the kind of thing that is like, oh, maybe we kind of recognize that, but actually like being like, oh, there's something, there's something there. So that's one thing. Um, Another thing that's implicit in the story, I thought of um, Zoe Glentworth when I when I wrote this point, which, which is that Boaz is a G. Um, so a thing that's implied um, all through the story is that Boaz is like a real good guy. The first kind of interaction we see from him is him arriving at his fields and he says to his workers, the Lord bless you, like as his morning greeting. Like we are getting the vibe that he is a chipper guy. And then... Um, later on in his interactions that he's kind of like, oh, who's this, who's this lady that's cleaning in the fields? And they're like, oh, she's been here all morning. So he goes over, greets her, says, you can stay cleaning in this field, tag along with um, the servants that are collecting up stuff. You'll be safe with them. Like, I'll make sure that um, they don't give you any trouble. And all of this is actually really important because Ruth is a foreigner in the land and she's a widow. So she is hectically vulnerable. Um, and so he's kind of going out of his way as kind of a G um, on his land saying like, ah, oh, I don't want any trouble for you. He is a he is fulfilling the law, which um, so Leviticus is a whole bunch of laws about how Jewish people needed to live in alignment with God's will. And it's explicitly said in that that when you have a field, you need to leave some grain so that vulnerable people in the community can roll through and they can get a little bit of the leftovers, kind of like the free store, they can get the leftovers so they can be nourished. Um, so don't go real hard with your harvesting and just take it all for you and make a profit. Got to leave some behind for people. And so he he does that. He And it says it specifically, um, make sure you do that for the widows and the alien. So alien is like immigrants. And Ruth is both of those. So he's like recognizing her positionality, saying, okay, I'm going to fulfill the law. I'm a righteous guy. But he goes above and beyond and says to the people that are harvesting, guys really like don't go too hard on the harvesting we want to make sure that her and Naomi have enough the extended family of mine we want to look out for them so we're getting the really strong message through these like interactions if we're looking for them and if we kind of have um, dug into the wider context um, that like oh Boaz is a good guy so that's the second thing that's implied in the story and then the third thing that's implied is that this story is a story about um about David's genealogy. So it kind of says, I think it says maybe at the start and at the end, um, that Ruth and Boaz end up being the kakite. Nice to have you guys here. Um, 
Ruth and Boaz um, are like ancestors of David and by extension of Jesus. So they names in the text, um, like from this line comes David. And that's quite significant um, in the sense that these, these people are um, shown to be like really faithful, kind of conscientious people. But also, as you say, Bridget, it's kind of like, oh, well, in King David's line is this immigrant woman who is like super vulnerable in society. And yet um, her devotion um, to the Lord is kind of like superior to that other law, like which law trumps out. Kind of like when people can speed because it's an emergency, but they speed but it was an emergency, like which law trumps out. So clearly the writer of the book is like, it's all good that Ruth is a Moabite woman. She's part of King David's line, kind of like, we're proud of that. Um, So it points to their faithfulness being part of this bigger story. And I think there's there's a fourth thing, which is really like, I didn't notice this. Um, But the fourth thing is that all this takes place in Bethlehem. So Bethlehem is um, the town most popularly known as being the place um, near Tauranga that people go to to post their Christmas cards. Um, um, yeah, actually people do that. It's so funny. They go to Bethlehem. There's also a Judea near, near Tauranga, which is so strange. Um, no, so Bethlehem is well known um, for being the place that Jesus is born, and he goes back there because he's part of David's line, and when the census comes, they all have to cruise back to their hometown. So this takes place in Bethlehem, and by and large, what we can learn from Naomi, who's from Bethlehem, who, even though the chips have been so down for her as a woman, um, her husband dies, her sons die. Like, she could just be so on the heap. She's in a foreign land. She's prepared to immigrate back home alone. Like, things are looking bad for her. She continues to say, like, in, if, you, if you read through again, say you read through tonight and you look for what does Naomi say in the text, even though she's like, this is bitter times for me, she is kind of like a faithful woman of God and, and what comes through in her communication with people she talks to. So she's from Bethlehem and she's like holding on um, to kind of her faith and the ways that she wants to practice being an upright Jewish woman, even though the chips are down. Um, Boaz, as we've said, he's a G. Um, a lot of the other people in the town seem to be pretty good. There's kind of mention of other people in the town who maybe their fields are a little bit more sketchy. You don't want to be going and like gleaning there. But by and large, we get this um, impression that Bethlehem is like quite a um, like upright town. And um, there's this other thing, which I just so wouldn't have known unless this book had told me. But all of this is happening during an era in um, the history of Israel, um, which aligns with the book of Judges. And if you read the book of Judges, things are just going to shit all over the place. People are, there's like social injustice, um, idolatry, like all sorts of just terrible times going on. But Bethlehem is this little village where people are quite like earnest and quite like reverently seeking the Lord, even in the midst of a lot of bad times going on in kind of the wider society. So all of that stuff is kind of in there um, to be found, apparently, (laughs) Um, and to be discerned and to be read in the kind of wider context of where does the book of Ruth sit. Um, But those are four things that these guys pulled out as like, ah, here's some other stuff. Here's some examples of what can be implicit in a narrative if we um, learn and try and like dig deeper for what's there. And so I wanted to give that as an example because um, I think it's very interesting to be like, ah, like, what more is there that we could know and be enriched by um, from Scripture with this kind of knowledge? So 
here ends the teach, not preach. Um, yeah, maybe we'll just take some time now to um, sit and be still and just ask God, Lord, is there anything that you want to speak to me about through this or draw to my attention? So we'll just take, oh yeah, we're going pretty well for time. I think we'll just take like three minutes or so. Um, and then, yeah, the crew that are going to lead us in a couple songs of worship will do that. Um, but yeah, just take some time in silence.